What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Martian MMA podcast. I am your host, and my name is John, and this is going to be a non-traditional episode of the podcast. I'm not going to be analyzing or predicting any upcoming fights, but I'm going to be doing a 2020 recap episode where I rank some of the more traditional awards they give out at the end of the year, such as Fight of the Year, Fighter of the Year, Submission of the Year, Knockout of the Year, the worst decisions of the year and comeback of the year as well and in terms of bets i'm also going to be recapping my official betting record for the year some of my official predictions record and talking about some of the worst and best bets of mine throughout the year and just given the year of 2020 a general recap because it's been a crazy year we didn't even know if we were going to have a whole year of fights back in March, April when the coronavirus broke out, but the UFC did a great job promoting events from May to December, pretty much every week in that time period. It was a blast grinding out podcast every single week, and it's nice to take a few weeks off right now. We have a few cards coming up in a few weeks. Uh, I, of course, will have podcasts for analyzing and predicting every fight on those cards, but for now, we're just going to be jumping into these, uh, I guess you could say, award shows, and we're going to start things off with, I guess, the most popular one which is going to be fight of the year just a heads up i did not stick with a specific amount of rankings for each category for some i chose five for some i chose up to 10 or more so it's really just based on what i felt deserved in the ranking for the category so some of them will have more than the others but we're going to start from the bottom of the rankings and move our way to the top to maybe uh, build some suspense towards the best one in each category so we're going to start things off with the sixth best fight of the year in my opinion which was Weili Zhang versus Yuan and Jacek at UFC 248 in March of this year it was one of the last fights we got to witness with a crowd in the stands. It was ironically followed by not a great fight between Israel Adesanya and Yuel Romero but the women definitely stole the show that night. It was one of the best women's fights I've ever seen. I think it would stand as the best women's fight I've ever seen. A crazy back and forth striking war between these two. There were some fun clinch exchanges that Ioana did really well in. Of course, Ioana's head swell, uh, swelled up towards the end and really helped Wei Li Zhang win those late rounds in the eyes of the judges. Ioana was just so busted up that even though she was doing well in those last few rounds, it was hard for Ioana to win those cards on the, in the eyes of the judges because her face was just so busted up her body language wasn't great and Weili Zhang showed some great cardio in that fight that was not on tape it was I think her first five round fight where she actually went the distance and she looked good in those later rounds Ioana had so much more five round experience than her but Zhang was still able to overcome that and win her championship back it was a close decision I don't exactly agree with it I do think that there is a case for Joanna winning the fight but I'm not gonna fully uh die on that hill because I do uh, think that optics have a lot to do with the way that fights are scored even if it's not in the official criteria I think it's hard to give uh, Joanna some of those late rounds considering how busted up she was the big red hands that Zhang was landing um, it was a great fight and that's why it comes in at number six on my list and we're going to move towards the fifth fight the fifth best fight of the year at number five I have Dan Hooker versus Dustin Poirier an amazing five-round fight. Dan Hooker did really well in the first two rounds through a lot of output. I think that second round is one of the best rounds in UFC history. Those last minute of that round when Poirier was against the fence eating those shots, I mean, you could hear the shots so loud, and it was just unbelievable that these two guys were still standing after absorbing shots like that. And Poirier sticks his tongue out after the round and smiling. I mean, he's so crazy. And then to come back in those last three rounds after 
absorbing that massive amount of damage. Hooker definitely slowed down, started to gas out, did not look great in the championship rounds as he did in his first fight versus uh, Paul Felder early in the year, which is on the list as well. Uh, that's going to be coming up soon. But Poirier dug deep. He fought really well when he was tired himself. I mean, he was certainly tired after that that high pace in the first two rounds, but he still dug deep. He, he used his experience advantage over Hooker to win those last three rounds to outbox him. I mean, really fun fight. It wasn't the greatest uh, fight because it wasn't really competitive um, in all five rounds. Like some of these fights were, it was kind of Hooker won the first two, Poirier won the last three, but still it makes the list for me an incredible fight. And now we're going to move on to the fourth best fight of the year, which is another Dan Hooker fight. We got Paul Felder versus Dan Hooker back in February in New Zealand, an incredible fight. We got to witness one with this one with crowd in the stands, uh, which is kind of rare in 2020. So going back and rewatching that, this one's a lot of fun. Even though the crowd might have uh, swayed that fight in Hooker's favor, there were some really close rounds in this one. This one goes towards the top of my list because this was a really back and forth fight. Similar to the Poirier fight with Hooker, he came out strong in the first few minutes and definitely won the first few minutes versus Felder, but you saw Felder start to make adjustments right away. He started to outbox Hooker, and I think there's a good case for giving Paul Felder four rounds of this fight. I think there's a good chance for giving him round one, but I definitely give Felder rounds two, four, and five. Hooker did land a late brief takedown at the end of round five, and the crowd erupted in cheers for Hooker, and that could have uh, swayed him the fight, honestly, but that takedown didn't mean anything. Felder was still outboxing him in that round, doing the more damage, and I definitely think that Felder won the fight. He got a bit screwed by the judges, and I think you'll see this fight later on the worst decisions list of the year. It's a real shame that, uh, that Felder lost that fight, but it's nice to see that he didn't retire after all. But nevertheless, Hooker versus Felder was a great fight. A lot of respect to Dan Hooker. He had two amazing fights this year, and I'm sure he'll have another great one in 2020 against Michael Chandler. But that's going to move us on to the third best fight of the year, and this was a rematch between the champion Alexander Volkanovsky and Max Holloway. An incredible high-level matchup for the featherweight championship back at UFC 251. Volkanovski pulled off the upset against Holloway at the end of 2019 in the past year and won that fight pretty dominantly against Max. And personally, I was thinking that Volkanovski was going to repeat that. I was sort of questioning where Holloway was in his career, and I was kind of doubting the great Max Holloway going into this fight. Was But boy, was I wrong, because even though Volkanovski started the early rounds well, Max adapted, landed some late knockdowns in the first two rounds that swayed him those two rounds. And rounds three, four, and five were really competitive rounds. Volkanovski kind of woke up from those knockdowns, started doing better himself. And these were really razor-thin rounds, some of the highest-level MMA we've ever seen between two guys who I'm sure will go down as some of the best MMA fighters we have ever seen. I think Max is already up there and by the end of Volkanovski's career there's a great chance that he is in the top 20 ever as well. And we will kind of look back on this fight. And we might even see a trilogy fight between these two because I do not think it's really settled on who the better fighter is yet. I think Volkanovski definitely has a lead right now, but uh, I would like to see a trilogy somewhere down the line. And I think if Max gets another win over Calvin Cater soon, then that trilogy uh, will be a, the next fight to make in 2021. So an amazing fight between these two. Um, I didn't necessarily disagree with the decisions when watching it live. It definitely seemed like Max Holloway did enough to win, but I don't really disagree with Volkanovski winning those last three rounds either. It's a really high-level fight, and uh, that's why it came in at number three on my list. 
That is going to bring us to number two, the second best fight of the year, and I have that as Peter Yan versus Jose Aldo back at UFC 251 for the Bantamweight Championship. That 251 card was really magical with those top three title fights, and those fights really delivered. I was entertained by all three, but I think Aldo Yan really stole the show that night. The fight started a bit slow in round one, but at the end of round one, Jan landed a brief takedown and was able to hurt Aldo with a body shot or something. You heard Aldo uh, visibly groan or something like that, and Jan landed a lot of strikes to really solidify that round one. And we kind of looked, it kind of looked like the fight could be over at that point, but like Vintage Aldo, the greatest fighter of all time, he battled back and had a great round two. It looked like Vintage Aldo in there, and one round two, in my opinion, versus Jan after getting hurt at the end of round one. Round three was a high-level back-and-forth round. I think Jan did a lot of damage towards the end of the round and stole that round, and Aldo's cardio started to fall off. He's not the same fighter he once was, and he's not fighting at his natural weight class either, and he does not have that cardio to go the full five rounds anymore, so his cardio kind of dropped off in round four. Jan started to pour it on. He is one of the best fighters uh, in the UFC right now, Peter Jan. It's been amazing to watch him grow in the UFC and work his way to the championship level. And I was pretty confident in Jan to score a late knockout in this one. I had some Jan bets, some uh, fight does not go the distance bets, some ends by knockout bets. So I had a pretty good read on this fight. I think I was predicting it to get it done a little earlier, rounds three or four for Peter Jan, but. Aldo stuck in there tough. He took an absolute beating in round five. And this fight is kind of shadowed by this bad stoppage. Uh, Leon Roberts, the referee, really failed Jose Aldo in there. Aldo's coaches, Dede Pedineris, really failed him. I mean, he was knocked down in round one within 30 seconds of the round starting. There was no need for him to be shelled up and eat another 50, 75 ground and pound shots on the ground there. I mean, that was really egregious, that stoppage. Everyone involved, uh, the referee, the coaches should be ashamed, but that really doesn't cancel out how great of a fight it was. Those first three rounds were really high-level competitive stuff, back-and-forth striking between two of the best strikers this sport has ever seen. I mean, some incredible boxing and kicking exchanges were happening there. And despite the the beatdown that happened in those later rounds, despite the late stoppage, it still tops my list at the second best fight of the year. And that's going to take us to the number one spot on the list, the best fight of the year. It actually happened pretty recently on December 12th. It was a flyweight championship fight between champion Davison Figueredo and Brandon Marino. The fight was officially declared a draw. I personally thought the Davison Figueredo won the fight. Even with the point deduction, I had Davison Figueredo winning rounds 1, 2, 3, and 5. And I think that the really only clear round for Moreno is round 4. There's not really much of a case for giving him any rounds besides that. But that does not take away from what an incredible competitive fight it was. Rounds 1, 2, and 5 were really competitive rounds. Both guys had a lot of success in those rounds. I think the 3 and 4 rounds were pretty one-sided for each guy. Round 3 was a pretty clear Figueredo round. Round 4 was a pretty clear Moreno round. And round three was a really weird round to score because that's when that that groin strike happened where the point was deducted. And I think Figueredo was clearly ahead in that round before the pause in the action. And the judges tend to forget what happens a little bit there. And it allows for judges to score the fight incorrectly. And if you look at the scorecards for that fight, all three judges did score that round three correctly, giving it to Figueredo, and it ended up as a 9-9 round. But we also can see that Sal Diamato gave round two to Brandon Moreno, which I do not think is correct. And in round five, Jurichito Camillo gave round five to Brandon Moreno when the other two judges had it for Figueredo, and I thought it was a pretty clear Figueredo round, and that was the deciding draw scorecard. So if Camillo scores that round five correctly, 
Brandon Marino should have lost the fight via majority decision, but it didn't happen. There were still some mistakes by the judges, and I do think that Figueredo won the fight 48-46 in my opinion. He should have retained or he should have defended his belt. He should have got his win bonus, and he should have won the fight, but the judges disagreed. They messed up the judging there. And I believe you will see this fight on my worst decisions list uh, once we get there later in the podcast. But that is going to do it for the fight of the year. Some amazing fights. Notice that all six of the top fights of the year were five-round fights. That just shows you how much that five rounds adds to the level of the fight. Uh, especially these are all championship level fights, main event level fights. So that's why you see incredible high level competitive fights, which is great to see in the UFC. So it was a great year in terms of uh, five round back and forth fights. And that's my fight of the year list. So the next category we're going to go over is submission of the year. And I only ranked five fights for this one. So this should be a bit quicker than the fighter of the fight of the year category. Uh, we're going to start things off at number five and that is Julian Arosa's Dars Choke over Sean Woodson. An incredible comeback from Arosa in this fight. I did not give him much of a chance coming into the fight. He was a plus 300 underdog. He was getting smashed in the early rounds, but he came back well. And when he pulled off this choke in round five, or round three, excuse me, I was honestly shocked. I cannot believe it. Uh, it was really one of the craziest moments, I think, all year. So props to Julian Arosa. He had not had much success in his few past UFC fights, but he dug deep and pulled off an amazing submission here. And at number four, I have a pretty similar story. We have Damon Jackson. And submitting Mursad Bektik with a guillotine choke. Jackson was a big underdog going into this fight and even a bigger underdog in the live betting lines because he definitely lost the first two rounds. He was getting out grappled by Mursad Bektik who seemed to be the much better grappler and Bektik is kind of known for slowing down later in fights but it seemed like he would be able to just hit another takedown and stay on top and win the round uh, for a decision at this point and he was a huge favorite in the betting lines. Bektik was definitely plus 900 or above. I don't remember the exact number, but his coach gave him a great pep talk. He went out in round three and attempted a submission, and he was able to pull off that guillotine choke for an amazing comeback. So credit for Jackson, and that's why it comes in at number four on my list. Number three, I have kind of a similar story. We got Ed Herman's Kimura submission over Mike Rodriguez. Herman was a two-to-one dog coming into the fight, was getting smashed in the early rounds. He had a bit of a controversy surrounding a, a, a groin shot that the referee let him get some time to rest for. But if you cancel that out, I mean, in round three, he was still down two rounds to zero. He got dropped in round three, was eating punches, was eating 20, 30 ground-and-pound shots on the ground, but still gathered himself was able to reverse position and pull off that Kimura an insane insane submission I mean he was a plus 1300 underdog before the round even started so imagine what the odds would have been after he got dropped and after he would have been getting smashed with that ground and pound you probably could have gotten 25 to 1 or something like that on Betfair Exchange so that was really an incredible comeback I'm kind of valuing the circumstances of the fight rather than the actual technique of the submission because all three of these fights that I just mentioned were all round three comeback submissions and I think that really adds to the uh, the effect but my top two are more high level submissions that you got to value the technique and the opponent over and then number two comes in Aljamain Sterling's rear naked choke over Corey Sanhagen this was a number one contender fight for the Bantamweight Championship uh, the next shot at the title and it was a really competitive fight in the betting lines. Aljo was his slight favorite, and people thought that Aljamain Sterling's grappling would be the advantage in this fight that led him to the victory. But I don't think anybody 
expected it to come this easy. He got a quick body lock. He got a nice back take, and he submitted Sandhagen in 90 seconds to just prove how high level of a grappler he is and how great Sandhagen was looking before that and after that. That win has only looked better and better, so credits Sterling. He really set up an amazing fight with Peter Jan, and the way he dusted a high-level fighter like Sandhagen like that so quickly just shows how high-level of a grappler Aljamain Sterling is. That's why he comes in at number two. And at number one, I think this is a pretty obvious answer, but we got Khabib Nurmagomedov's mounted triangle over Justin Gagey to retain his UFC lightweight championship at UFC 254. I mean, to do a submission like this in such a high-level fight against an elite fighter like Gagey, and Khabib was easily out-grappling Gagey when the fight got to the floor. Gagey was kind of very spastic getting back to his feet, was giving up a lot of dominant positions, but for Khabib to attempt a pretty risky submission like a mounted triangle, and to, to get it to choke Gaethje out cold and then to retire after, I mean, the circumstances around that, the technique that was used, and the way that he submitted an elite fighter, the interim lightweight champion, the guy who was on a, a knockout streak over high-level competition, and Khabib was taking him down, was passing him, was mounting him like it was easy. He was like a knife through butter uh, like Khabib was in that fight. So it was pretty amazing to see Khabib uh, just slice through Gaethje like that so easily on the ground and then for him to finish it off with such an amazing submission. Allegedly a submission that his father really loved so he was really uh, thinking about dedicating uh, the fight to his father when it was happening. He said he was thinking about arm barring Gaethje but he's kind of friends with Gaethje. They, they have the same manager. Gaethje said that he wouldn't tap before the fight so he didn't want to hurt Gaethje's arm allegedly so he went to the triangle he knew his father liked, loved that move and he was able to submit Gaethje with it so an amazing emotional victory for Khabib and that comes in at the number one submission of the year so that's going to do it for the submission of the year category and it's only right to do knockout of the year so we're going to do the knockout of the year category next and as a, a spoiler alert we got 11 on this list so I'm not going to spend too much time on them I'll try to breeze through the list but we do have 11 knockout of the year uh, contenders on the list so we're going to start at the bottom of the list at number 11, and we have Chaos Williams' knockout over Abdul Razak Al-Hassan, a 30-second knockout, a massive uppercut punch, or maybe it was a straight right hand. I don't really remember. It kind of looked like an uppercut, um, but he just completely flatlined Razak, landed a massive hammer fist after that. Really enjoyed seeing that knockout over Razak. And Razak is kind of known as the round one knockout guy. And even though Williams did have a knockout in round one, I don't think too many people were predicting him to sleep Razak like that. So it was a pretty crazy outcome. And that's why it made the list for me. Number 10 comes in at Kevin Holland versus Jacare Souza. This happened really recently. Holland was on bottom. He corked up a crazy punch from the bottom and was able to hurt Jacare real bad with a punch from the bottom and then finished him off in a really awkward position. It was an incredible knockout from Holland. He pulled that off from such a weird angle so I give a lot of credit for him. And then number, number nine is another Kevin Holland knockout. We got Kevin Holland versus Joaquin Buckley, a nasty straight right hand knockout, kind of a walk off knockout, I believe. No finish, uh, no follow up strikes were necessary. A walk off straight right hand knockout for Holland over an impressive fighter in Buckley as well, who you would definitely see on the list in the future. Number eight, we got Francisco Trinaldo's knockout over Jai Herbert. 
It was a competitive fight. Trinaldo was winning round one, lost round two, got dropped himself. It was a plus 1,000 underdog after round two. People were disrespecting Trinaldo, thinking he was out of the fight. He recovered well. He was doing well in round three, and then he landed a massive overhand left that flattened Herbert. This was the infamous uh, Dan Hardy, Herb Dean incident where they got in an argument about uh, whether Herbert was out. He was clearly out. Trinaldo landed a follow-up strike or two, and the fight was over. An incredible comeback knockout and an amazing overhand left knockout for Trinaldo there. At number seven, we got another old veteran getting a nice knockout. We got Benil Daryush versus Scott Holtzman. A beatdown from Bar- Daryush in this fight. And this you will see this fight later on my worst bets of the year uh, list. Daryush was really beating Holtzman badly and then landed a nasty spinning back fist knockout. No follow-up necessary. Walk-off knockout. An incredible uh, finish from Daryush. But that wasn't even his best knockout of the year. That comes in at number six. We got Benil Daryush versus Jakar Close. A crazy back-and-forth round two there. Daryush was ahead in that fight. I see a lot of people giving that fight the comeback of the year, but Daryush wasn't really in too much trouble besides like 30 seconds of that fight. He got rocked with a punch, was getting backed up. He hurt close and, of course, landed that infamous overhand left-hand knockout that led to that crazy reaction from Rogan and uh, Cormier and John Anik. That was at UFC 248 as well, one of the last events with fans. So that was a really great reaction we got to see this year. Really fun to rewatch that fight and to see the fans react to it, to see the commentators react. An incredible knockout from the old veteran, Benil Daryush. That brings us to the top five knockouts of the year. At number five, we have Davison Figueredo's knockout over Joseph Benavidez back in February of this year. That straight right hand in round two. They knocked Benavidez out cold. A few ground and pound strikes. Nasty knockout from Figueredo there. They, of course, clash head. You see Benavidez look at the blood on his head. Uh, for a second, lose focus for just a few seconds, and Figueredo times that right hand and puts him to sleep. Vicious knockout from Figueredo. Did not win the title there, but eventually win the title versus Benavidez later on in the year. Coming in at number four, we have Sean O'Malley's straight right hand knockout over Eddie Wyland. Nasty knockout here. I mean, he put Wyland to sleep, walk off knockout, and O'Malley was levels ahead of Wineland here. It was a pretty predictable outcome for O'Malley to knock him out, but the way he did it so casually and so clean and eventually uh, landed that picture-perfect right hand to knock Wineland out still deserves a spot on the list at number four. Moving on to number three on the list, we have Cody Garbrandt's knockout over Hathaya Sansao. This right hook that came from the hip, Cody Garbrandt was torquing this punch for three or four seconds and then just unloaded this massive hook on a Santao that flatlined him for a walk-off knockout. I think this happened in the same event as Sean O'Malley. So they went back-to-back really with some of their best knockouts all year and wasn't expecting this outcome actually here. I was kind of expecting a Santao to win this fight, so this one surprised me. I mean, Garbrandt was winning the fight clearly before that, but it was looking like it was going to go to the decision, but Garbrandt landed this nasty hook out of nowhere and flatlined a Santao to get him him back in the win column after a few rough losses. Moving on to the second best knockout of the year. Coming in at number two, we have Corey Sanhagen's spinning hook kick knockout versus Marlon Marais. This was really a dominant performance from Corey Sanhagen. The bending line was close here. People were expecting Marias to have some success with his leg kicks and be a tough test for Sanhagen, but Sanhagen really blasted through Marias. It was a dominant performance from Sanhagen, but to finish it off with such a pretty knockout like that spinning hook kick and to land that follow-up ground and pound, beautiful knockout from Sanhagen there, and he really made it look easy, honestly. And speaking of spinning back kicks, that moves us to the number one best knockout of the year. Another pretty obvious choice, Joaquin Buckley's knockout over Impa Kasaganai. 
This knockout needs no introduction. It immediately jumped to one of the best knockouts in UFC history. Definitely the best knockout all year long. It went extremely viral on the UFC social media. Probably one of the most most seen knockouts ever in UFC history by uh, social media viewers and everything like that. It's probably had 30, 40, 50 million views by now. And not only the way that he set that kick up by getting the kick caught and doing it, but the way that Kasaga and I fell and was just out cold, stiff as a board. It was just an incredible knockout to hear the commentators going crazy in that empty arena. I give Buckley even more credit because I was really high on Kasaga and I going into that fight. I still think Kasaga and I is a really good fighter. We haven't seen him fight since that knockout, but I'm interested to see how he will bounce back. But I have a feeling that the knockout will age even better considering that I think Kasaga and I still has a pretty bright future ahead of him. So credit to Joaquin Buckley. He was uh, on this list as well, getting knocked out by Kevin Holland earlier in the year. He recovered from that knockout, came back with his own incredible knockout and topped the list as the easy number one best knockout of the year. The next category we're going to go over is fighter of the year and this one should be a short one. I only have five fighters on the list for this one so we're going to start at number five. I have coming in at number five Khabib Nurmagomedov. Khabib did only fight once this year but it was an elite victory over an elite fighter in Justin Gaethje. He battled some early adversity on with some light kicks and some punches but his non-stop pressure and takedowns and grappling attacks eventually got Gaethje to the floor. He outgrappled Gagey easily and submitted him with that great mounted triangle choke we talked about earlier. And for Khabib to retire off of a victory like that, off of three elite victories, McGregor, Poirier, and Gagey, all number one lightweights at the time, elite victory after elite victory after elite victory. For him to retire like that after submitting all three of them, it was an incredible moment. Khabib really solidified himself as one of the greatest fighters ever in that moment, and I give him credit for uh, that. And that's why he lands on the fighter of the year list despite only winning uh, one fight. Coming in at number four, we have Charles Oliveira. He is 2-0 on the year, defeating Kevin Lee by submission in round three. And he also defeated Tony Ferguson just a few weeks ago by a dominant decision. I believe a 30-25 decision. I don't know what the official scorecards were that one, but I scored that one at least 30-25 for Charles Oliveira. Just a dominant grappling performance. He completely dominated Ferguson. He didn't really dominate Kevin Lee in their fight. That was kind of a close fight for the first two rounds, but did snatch a nice guillotine choke in round three to wrap that fight up. So... Oliveira's stock rose a lot this year, two really high-level victories, and I think he's definitely in the top three lightweights after those two wins, and he will likely see a title shot uh, in the near future. I think he's on like an eight-fight win streak or something like that. We're going to move on to number three, the middleweight champion, Israel Adesanya. He did go 2-0 on the year, defeating Yoel Romero by decision and defeating Paulo Costa by knockout in round two. The fight against Romero gets a lot of criticism, I guess you could say. It wasn't the most entertaining fight from both guys, honestly. I think they're both to blame for that. And a lot of people actually thought that Yoel Romero won that fight. Honestly, I haven't even rewatched it to score it. I did score it for Israel Adesanya live, but it wasn't really the most compelling fight. It's a really low output fight, kind of hard fight to score because so little was happening. So I really don't disagree with that decision. Uh, but the real dominant performance came over Paulo Costa. That was a close fight in terms of betting lines. A lot of people were picking... Uh, Costa in that fight and Costa kind of shut down mentally he didn't really perform well in that fight but a lot of that had to do with Israel Adesanya shutting him down and being the superior striker being the best striker in the sport so Adesanya had a great 2020 two title defenses over two fellow elite fighters and that's why he comes in at number three on the list 
Coming in at number two, we have the light heavyweight champion, Jan Blahovic, who is 2-0 in the year. He knocked out Corey Anderson as an underdog early on in the year in February. And then later on in the year, as a bigger underdog, he comes in and dominates Dom Reyes, knocks him out in round two to win the light heavyweight championship. Jan Blahovic has really improved in front of our eyes in the UFC over the years. I mean, he avenged some losses. He picked up better and better wins. He's been knocking people out left and right lately, and he's constantly underrated in the betting lines. He's always an underdog. He always performs well. I think he's 7-2 and two in his past nine fights, and he was the underdog in eight of those fights. So he's one of the best underdog bets in the UFC. I picked him to beat Don Reyes in that fight, and I was really happy with that that bet, that prediction. It's one of my proudest picks all year, and it was really great to see Blahovic win that fight. And the reason why I ranked Blahovic ahead of Adesanya, it's not because I think that uh, Reyes and Anderson are better opponents than Romero and Costa, because that is not true. It's because Blahovic won the fights in much more convincing ways. We talked about earlier how Adesanya had that kind of razor-close decision a lot of people disagree with versus Romero. Meanwhile, Jan Blachowicz knocked out both of his opponents. He knocked out Corey Anderson dead in round one, and he was dominating uh, Dom Reyes leading up to that knockout in round two. So he just won those fights a lot more convincingly. I think he it was a, a great story considering he was the underdog in both fights, and that's why he tops the list at number two. And that brings us to number one, the best fighter of the year. Another pretty consensus pick. I don't see much disagreement from people here. And that is the flyweight champion, Davison Figueredo, who between you and me went 4-0 in the year. I know his official record says three wins, zero losses, and one draw. But as we talked about earlier, I do think he beat Brandon Moreno in that fight. And he won all three of his fights before that by finish. He knocked out Joe Benavidez with that nasty straight right hand that was on one of the best knockouts of the year. He then dominated Joe Benavidez, knocking him down and choking him out in the Rematch. He choked out Alex Perez with that nasty Armin guillotine choke in the first round of their fight. And then he had that crazy back and forth war with Brandon Moreno, which he won that fight pretty convincingly, in my opinion, uh, four rounds to one, even though the judges sadly gave that fight a draw. Figueredo has been so much fun to watch this year. I think he's really given a new life to the flyweight division. I think a lot of fans are really excited about the division for a first time in a while. And if you listen to the podcast, you know how much of a fan of the flyweights I am. A lot of the the real fans respect the divisions, but you know, you got to get that respect from the casual fans as well. And Figueredo has done that. He's produced entertaining knockouts and finishes and great entertaining fights like the Moreno fight. And I think that he will really rise to one of the most popular fighters in the UFC. I don't see many guys at flyweight beating him in the near future either. So Figueredo should hold the belt. He had an incredible uh, 2020. His 2020 got off to a bit of a rough start with him missing weight in Virginia for that title fight. Then he knocked out Benavidez. He didn't get the belt, but he persevered through that. He won the belt in Abu Dhabi. He defended it in America. And then he, of course, defended it again against Moreno in that five-round war. So that earns him the right to say he is the fighter of the year, without a doubt, in my opinion. He's really become one of the most exciting fighters in the UFC, and I think that he will continue to rise in popularity in the coming years. The next category is going to be comeback of the year. And just to clarify, this is not like career comebacks. This is individual fight comebacks. And I'm not going to spend too much time on this category because I have six fights listed. And I've actually already talked about five of them on this podcast. So I'm going to only really expand on one of them. But I'm just going to brief over the ones I've already mentioned. And coming in at number six, we have Francisco Trinaldo versus Jai Herbert. An incredible comeback knockout from Trinaldo in that fight. He was hurt and losing round two of that fight. Huge underdog after that round, but he came back and landed that amazing knockout in round three. 
At number five, we have Poirier versus Hooker. Hooker was up the first two rounds, was hurting Poirier bad in round two, but Poirier withstood that early storm, battled back in rounds three, four, and five, and won that decision. At number four, we got one of the submissions of the year candidates, Sean Woodson versus Julian Arosa. Arosa was losing that fight badly, was a huge underdog before the fight and in the live betting lines, but Arosa pulled off that amazing comeback with that Darsh choke in round three. Coming in at number three, we have another submission of the year candidate, Damon Jackson versus Mursad Bektik. Bektik was up two rounds to zero, was outgrappling Jackson in this fight, but Jackson pulled off that crazy guillotine choke in round three to pull off the comeback victory. At number two, we have the one fight we haven't talked about so far. This is Trevin Jones versus Timur Valiev. Valiev was teeing off on Jones in round one, was hurting him with so many strikes, and Jones has an incredible chin. I cannot believe that he was standing up to those strikes. And this is another fight where I saw Jones as a plus 1,300 underdog in the live betting lines, and he was able to come back and knock out Timur Valiev in round two. An incredible knockout. I did not see this one coming at all. I think Jones was coming in on very short notice, was a huge underdog, was getting his ass kicked in round one, and he still came back and landed that knockout in round two. Incredible knockout from Jones. And coming in at number one, a fight we have talked about already, one of the best submissions of the year, along with one of the best comebacks of the year, Ed Herman versus Mike Rodriguez. This fight has a bit of controversy around it because in round two, it looked like Mike Rodriguez landed a body kick. It was around the groin area, and the referee gave Ed Herman some time to rest and recover. And on replay, it did not hit the groin. It was a clear body kick. It probably should have ended the fight, but the referee made a bit of a mistake. But that is not Ed Herman's fault. He did not ask for the referee to stop it there. He just reacted naturally. The referee thought it was a groin kick, and he stopped the fight. So Ed Herman was still in there getting his ass kicked. He knew that shot was to the body. He kind of got a bit of a break. He's still down two rounds. He gets dropped in round three. He's eaten all these strikes, and he still doesn't give up. He still reverses the position and pulls off that submission. As I talked about earlier in the podcast, he was plus 1,300 going into that round. So imagine what the odds would have been if there were live lines in the middle of him getting dropped and his ass kicked with all those ground and pound strikes like I said he would have been a plus 2,000 plus 3,000 underdog and he still pulled off that incredible comeback I mean he was on his way to a a 30-25 decision loss or something like that and he pulled it all around in a few seconds and pulled off that Kimura it was incredible still one of the craziest reactions I've had all year to a fight and that is why it is my number one comeback of the year and that brings us to the last category before we start talking about bets for the year last category for just pure fights we have is the worst decisions of the year the times I have disagreed with the judges I'll try not to spend too much time on this because we could spend a lot of time talking about each and every one of these fights but I'll just try to rattle them off and go through them at a pretty quick rate so we're going to start things off at number 11 I have a lot here we have Kevin Holland versus Darren Stewart I thought that Darren Stewart won this fight I thought that he won the last two rounds and he won round three by a wide margin I think he could have given that him a 10-8 round in that round It was a split decision, but the judges sadly gave it to Holland. I thought it was 29-27 for Darren Stewart. Next, we have Marlon Vera versus Song Yudong. I had Marlon Vera winning rounds 2 and 3 here for a 29-28 decision. Coming in at number 9, I had Edson Barbosa versus Dan Ige. I had Barbosa winning rounds 1 and 2 here for a 29-28. And when this fight happened, this was a really disagreed upon decision. But on rewatch, I think round 2 is a really close round. Ige was winning the round. Barbosa lands a knee to the body that it hurts Ige, but it's not extremely visible to the judges. And that's why two of the judges still gave Ige that round, but a close split decision fight. 
At number eight, we got Angela Hill versus Claudia Gedalia. I thought that Hill won rounds two and three here pretty clearly for a 29-28 decision. The judges disagreed. Another split decision here. At number seven, we have another women's fight. We have Lauren Murphy versus Andrea Lee. The judges gave a split decision to Murphy here based on some late takedowns, but I thought Lee was clearly landing the better strikes, doing more damage in all three rounds, and actually gave Lee a 30-27 in this one. At number six, we have... Zaleski Dos Santos versus Muslim Salikov. Somehow Salikov won this uh, split decision here, even though I thought Dos Santos won rounds one and two pretty clearly for a 29-28 decision. Now we're getting into the top five worst decisions of the year. At number five, we have Figueredo versus Moreno. I talked about this one earlier. I had Figueredo winning rounds one, two, three, and five. And despite the point deduction, he still should have won 48-46, but the judges scored that one a draw. Number four, another fight we've talked about, Paul Felder versus Dan Hooker. I had Felder winning rounds two, four, and five at, at a minimum for a 48-47. At three, we had Michelle Waterson versus Angela Hill. The judges gave this one a split decision to Michelle Waterson. I had Angela Hill rounding, winning rounds one, two, and five pretty clearly for the 48-47. I don't understand how you could give Waterson that round five, which was kind of the swing round here. I definitely think that Hill got robbed there. At number two, a fight we haven't talked about on the podcast, but what is, one is one of the most popular fights of the year, controversial fights of the year. We have Dominic Reyes versus John Jones. It seemed like it wasn't even in this year, but it was in February of this year at UFC 247. I had Reyes winning rounds one, two, and three here. Pretty easy fight to judge, but the judges still messed that one up and gave that one to Jones. Although round two was close there, I still think Reyes won it. And at number one, the worst decision of the year, I had at Pedro Munoz versus Frankie Edgar. I had Munoz winning rounds one, two, four, and five here. Pretty clearly for a 49-46 decision, but the judges somehow give Edgar three of those rounds for a split decision. Egregious decision there. I mean, I think that was a pretty clear 4-1 to one for Munoz, and they somehow gave a 3-2 to two for Edgar. That was a big loss for me in terms of bets, too. So I feel extra salty about this one. It was a huge swing. I had a lot of live bets on Munoz, but the judges uh, screwed me on this one and gave it to Edgar. But that is going to be the last category where we're doing the traditional rankings of the typical awards, knockout of the year, submission of the year. Now we're going to move on to a betting recap where I'm going to talk about my official record of predicting fights, my betting record, and some of my worst and best bets of the year. So we're going to get right into that right now. So there were 41 UFC events this year, and I did make 41 Martian MMA podcasts, and there were 456 UFC fights this year that took place in the UFC. I predicted every single one of them except for one, which was James Krause versus Trevin Giles. They made that fight on about 24 hours notice, so I think I had the podcast uploaded before that fight was made and did not get to predict that one. So I predicted 455 fights this year. Out of that, 292 predictions were correct, 157 were wrong, and 6 fights were draws, which was about a 65% accuracy. Now, I did have to go back through 40 events and look through my prediction record and tally up which ones are right and wrong, so I'm sure these numbers aren't 100% precise. I have 65% accuracy as my most accurate estimate. It could be 63, 64. It could be maybe a little bit higher at 66, 67. So I think 65% is the number I am most comfortable with. I think that's the most accurate prediction level. Um, so that, I think that's a pretty good accuracy level for all fights. Um, I'm pretty happy with that number. 
But in my opinion, predictions are the second most important to me. I think betting is the most important. Sometimes I might go five for seven on picks on a night. I might predict more fights wrong than correct, but I could still end up profitable in my official bets, which I think matters a lot more. I think the profit, the money that you make is actually a lot more important than just predicting the fight right or wrong. So if you've been listening to the podcast throughout the year, you know this has been a pretty profitable year for me on the Martian MMA podcast. This is only my second year tracking official bets, and in the first year, in 2019, I did not really have a good system set out. I didn't have a good idea of which fights to track, which fights not to track. I was tracking too many prop bets, and I really figured out a better system of more confident plays that I'm really willing to track and to give out to others as my official track bets. So you often hear me in the podcast talking about certain bets, but I might not make them. I might only make bets that I feel extremely confident in, bets that I feel comfortable giving out to other people as my official advice and that's what I consider my track bets. So my first year of tracking bets in 2019, I didn't have a good system set out. I bet 186 units and I profited negative 23 units for a negative ROI of 12%. But in 2020, learning a lot of new lessons, becoming more confident in my picks and just having a better read than the fights throughout the year, I bet 352.8 units, profiting 47 units with a return on investment of 13%. And if you look across my straight bets, my prop bets and parlays, I was profitable in all three. I barely made any parlays. I have a 2% ROI in parlays, an 8% ROI in prop bets, and a 16% ROI in straight bets. Straight bets are, I think, the most important, the most common bets. They're the most easily accessible bets for different books. So that's the bets I try to focus on most often. The bets I can give out to all people who can bet them across all sports books instead of tipping limited props that are only available on certain sports books. And just as a side note, if you're ever looking for advice on which sports books to use, depending on where you're located in the world, if you want to bet higher limit money line bets, if you want to bet prop bets, if you want to do live bets, I have some pretty good insight on which sports books are the best ones to use, depending on where you're located in the world. So feel free to hit me up on Twitter or wherever you can reach me on advice for sports books. Personally, I'm American, so I don't have the biggest access to sports books as some other people, but currently I use Bet Online. BetDSI and FanDuel Sportsbook. Uh, FanDuel is a local one that you can use within the United States. I also recommend um, DraftKings Sportsbooks, BetMGM, which is available in a lot of states now. And BetOnline, I think, is the best offshore book now that Five Dimes is gone. And also Bookmaker, Bovada, those are a lot of good ones. I could talk about sportsbooks for a long time, but that's just a quick little side note about sportsbooks. Now, getting back to my track bets, and these track bets I'm talking about are on my Bet MMA Tips page, which can be found in the description of all my YouTube videos. It can be found on my Twitter page, and that can be found just on the Bet MMA website under the Martian MMA username. That's where I track all my official picks. One thing I forgot to mention about my official results uh, in that 47 units profit for the year, that is included in four. Bellator and UFC Dana White Contender Series events. I did track bets for two Bellator events and two Contender Series events, so that's where a little bit of the profit comes from. I only analyze and predict UFC fights on the Martian MMA podcast, but I still do occasionally give out bets for Bellator and Contender Series uh, events as well, which you can um, get email updates for anytime I do so. And those those lines are pretty available in most books as well. So occasionally I tip out some of those bets, but it's not a very frequent thing. The last thing we're going to talk about on this 2020 recap podcast is two segments about my worst bets of the year and my best bets of the year. Now, these rankings really rely on my personal preference for what I consider a good and a bad bet. Now, for these bad bets, I really consider the criteria of bets that just had a no chance at winning at the percentage that I bet them. 
And typically to consider a bet a bad bet, I would really have to see the fight really play out. I don't really consider my fighters who I bet to get finished in round one as a bad bet. Like for instance, I bet Gerald Mearshart versus Ian Heinish for two units at plus 130 or something like that. And he got nuked with an overhand right and knocked out in one minute. But we only saw that fight happen for one minute. It's not like we definitively know that Ian Heinish beats Gerald Heinish at a super high rate because he knocked him out in the first minute. If we got to see that fight go 15 minutes and Heinish dominated Mearshart and it was clear that Mearshart had no chance, then I would consider it a bad bet. But if your guy gets hurt in round one, gets knocked out in the first few minutes, that doesn't necessarily mean it's a bad bet. I actually consider the fights that go the distance when the fighter gets dominated, when they really have no chance at winning, that's what I really consider a bad bet. So when reviewing my Bet MMA Tips page, I found seven bets that I consider really bad bets throughout the year. And we're going to start off with number seven, which was 1.5 units on Mitsuki Inoue versus Amanda Limos. So I bet Inoue as a favorite here, thinking that she would have an experience advantage, maybe a grappling advantage over Limos, but neither of those things were true. Limos was able to outstrike Inoue. She was the much more physical fighter, much more damaging on the feet, and she was able to stuff Inoue's takedowns, which is so much stronger, and I had a really bad read on this fight. I trusted Inoue as a favorite and put 1.5 units on her, and I think that uh, it was a bad bet at that price. I think even at a plus 150, plus 250, it still would have been a bad bet, and if this fight was really line if they had a rematch i think the anyway would be a plus three or four hundred underdog so i consider this a really bad bet it was never looking good and it looked pretty dead from the get-go so that's why i consider this one a bad bet and it comes in at number seven at number six, I put two units on Gabriel Silva at minus 120 over Kyler Phillips. So I bet Silva as a favorite with pretty medium confidence over Phillips. And we just hadn't seen enough of these guys in the UFC. I was going out on too much of a limb thinking that Silva would outgrapple Phillips uh, based on the, the Ray Borg fight. And that just didn't really happen at all. Phillips was the better striker, was hurting Silva on the feet, and was actually the better grappler out grappling Silva in the later rounds. Silva slowed down a lot in those later rounds. So this fight looked this bet looked pretty bad from the jump. If I reline this one again, I think that Silva would be a plus two, three hundred underdog. So the fact that I put a two unit bet on him as a favorite, I consider this one a pretty bad one. And that comes in at number six. At number five, we have 2.5 units on Scott Holtzman at plus 175 versus Benil Daryush. And I think it's pretty hard for a plus 175 bet to look bad. I mean, that implied probability is 35%. So as long as they look anywhere near 35%, it's not a bad bet. But Holtzman looked really bad there. I put way too much confidence in him. 2.5 units was way too much. If this was a one-unit bet, it wouldn't have been terrible. But the fact I went so heavy on Holtzman, and even on a rerun on this fight, I think that we could see Holtzman as a plus 250, plus 300 underdog. Daryush was still clearly the better fighter, was able to stuff takedowns outstrike Holtzman on the feet hurt him with strikes and eventually led to that spinning back fist knockout so I guess I tried to fade Benil Daryush too early I put too much faith in Scott Holtzman without the proper experience and I put way too much uh, money on him 2.5 units was too much I had way too much confidence in Holtzman and it just wasn't the right read here and I paid the price for this one when Holtzman got knocked out Coming in at number four, we have two units on Hajirio Bontran at plus 110 versus Ray Borg. 
My thinking here was Bontorin had good success defending takedowns from Bibulatov in his UFC debut, and Borg was struggling making weight. He wasn't looking great cardio-wise. He actually lost uh, the first few minutes of his fight versus Silva before he turned it around. So I was thinking Bontorin was going to be the more physical fighter, was going to be able to stuff takedowns, stand up from takedowns. Not the case at all. Borg was the much better grappler. He controlled Bontorin the entire time. I think if we reline this one, I would cap Bontorin plus four five hundred. I think that he really had no chance at plus 110. Terrible price. I put two units on him. I was too confident. And Borg is the much more established guy. Bontran was the newcomer. He didn't have enough experience on tape. And I really went on a limb trusting Bontran. Bad bet. And that's why it comes in at number four. Number three is a women's MMA bet. I have 2.5 units on Cynthia Calvillo by submission or decision versus Caitlin Chukagian at minus 170. So... There are a lot of problems with this bet. I think the first problem would be the size. 2.5 units was way too much, especially on a minus 170 price. I mean, in order to have value on minus 170, I think she would have had to look over 65%. And in retrospect, that was way too confident in Cynthia Calvillo to hit takedowns. She didn't have nearly as much experience as Chukagian at flyweight. And I was trusting Calvillo. I was trusting her grappling too much, putting way too much stock into her takedowns. And I kind of underrated Caitlin Chukagian. I paid a price betting against Caitlin Chukagian this year. My next bet is uh, against Chukagian as well, so I might as well just go right to that one. I don't want to talk about that Calvillo one too much longer because that one was frustrating. That one was pretty recently. I think that was just about a month ago. I made too many mistakes to even list betting Calvillo on that one, so let's just move on to number two. I put two units on Antonina Shevchenko versus Caitlin Chukagian at minus 130. I really underestimated Chukagin here. Chukagin came in with a really grappling heavy game plan and she was able to execute it flawlessly. She took down Antonina, dominated her on the mat. And honestly, if they had a rematch of this fight, I would cap Shevchenko at plus 600 because I do not think that she would be able to stuff the takedowns. I think Chukagin will be able to outgrapple her easily over and over again. So betting Shevchenko as a favorite here was a terrible bet. I put two units on her. I was too confident. And she was the inferior grappler, and I really underestimated Chukagian's grappling. I underestimated Chukagian's ability, and I paid the ultimate price betting against Caitlin Chukagian this year. I lost 4.5 units betting on Chuk- betting against Chukagian this year, and that's even more frustrating because I think I bet on her a few times in 2019. I was pretty confident in Chukagian in 2019, 2018, but I lost a little bit of confidence in her after she got dominated by Shevchenko. She started talking about retiring, starting a family, so I kind of took that into consideration too much. Much, and I paid the ultimate price betting against her minus 4.5 units betting against Chukagin this year and that brings us to the number one worst bet of the year and this is in the Diego Sanchez versus Michelle Pereira fight and I thought it would be a good way to play this one by playing Michelle Pereira by round one knockout and then Diego Sanchez money line because I thought that Pereira would either knock him out in round one or gas out after that and start to get taken down and out grappled. Remember, he just got taken down and out grappled by Tristan Connolly. And I thought that Sanchez still had that grappling ability. He would still be able to hit takedowns and out grapple Pereira. So I was thinking if Pereira knocks him out in round one, I'll profit. And if he doesn't, he'll gas out. Sanchez will take him down and he'll win that way. So I'll profit that way. Well, it turns out Pereira had plenty of gas to go the later rounds he fought composed he was outstriking Sanchez in rounds one and two and he landed an illegal knee in round three Diego Sanchez sold it he took the loss and miraculously my bets won so my worst bet of the year actually still won but I'm still counting it as the worst bet of the year because I bet Diego Sanchez at plus 150 he should have been plus 500 there 
besides that DQ loss, he really had no chance to win that fight. So I got extremely lucky getting bailed out by that fight there, but I could have lost uh, four or five units on that fight if it weren't for that miraculous uh, disqualification loss. Um, so I thank Michel Pereira for making that mistake and kneeing Diego Sanchez in the head. I thank Diego Sanchez for selling that loss and taking the DQ win, and that really rescued me. But that is my worst bet of the year, trying to play Pereira round one and Sanchez money line. I was just so off on the read of that fight, and I was lucky not to lose a lot of money there. All right, now we got to close the podcast on a bit of a more positive note. We're going to talk about the best bets of the year, the bets I'm most proud of, I thought had the most value, that went at the highest rate. I only came up with seven bets for this list. I had dozens of bets that won throughout the year that I felt good about, but these are the ones I felt really great about that I think win at a super high clip, and I'm really proud of the value or the price that I bet it at. So we're going to start things off at number seven with four units on Jessica Rose Clark over Sarah Alpar at minus 215. This was a pretty chalky bet at minus 215. I don't really bet over minus 200 that often, but this was a time I thought it was necessary to go heavy on a minus 200 favorite because I really thought that she would look minus 400, minus 500, and that ended up being true. It was a very dominant performance from Sarah Jessica, or from Jessica Rose Clark here. She bloodied up Alpar and finished her in round three from accumulated damage. And I think that four units was an appropriate size for this one. I think it was my second biggest bet of the year. Uh, the biggest one was five units, which was going to come up a little bit later. But I was happy with this one and it cashed pretty easily at minus 215. And that's going to bring us to number six. And for number six, I actually have two bets, but they're both at plus 225, and they're both one-unit bets at plus 225. The first one was on Jesse Ronson over Nicholas Dalby at plus 225. I really like that matchup for Ronson. He's a southpaw, and Dalby had a lot of problems with southpaws. So I actually put one unit on Ronson and picked him straight out there, and he was able to knock out Dalby in round one. And I also put one unit on Chris Dockhouse over Rodrigo Nascimento. I was confident in Dockhouse's tough takedowns and outboxed Nascimento. And Dockhouse outboxed Nascimento right away, hurt him with punches, and got that early round one knockout. So these are both round one knockouts. They're not the most replicable outcomes, but I was happy that I put one unit on both these guys at plus 225, which is why I put both of them at number six in the spot. At number 5, we have 1.5 units on Rafael Fiziev over Mark Diacasey at plus 140. I was really happy with my prediction, my read for this fight. I predicted Fiziev by decision. I predicted pretty much everything about this fight. That Diacasey was getting a bit overvalued by recent wins. Fiziev was getting underrated coming off of that knockout loss. And Fiziev is a really high level striker and he's the better striker than Dia Casey. I had a really good note about the dynamic of the striking here and Dia Casey is only good when coming forward and Fiziev isn't going to let him come forward and that's exactly how the fight played out. Fiziev dominated the space of the fight. He outstruck Dia Casey and he clearly won this fight via decision. I'm happy I put more than a unit on him. 1.5 units at plus money. He looked like a minus 2, 300 favorite there. It's a very good bet on Fiziev at number 5. Coming in at number four, we have two units on Gavin Tucker at plus 153 versus Billy Quarantillo. This is a pretty recent bet. Another fight that I was really happy with my read, my prediction for. I predicted Tucker by decision on the podcast. I predicted that Tucker's southpaw striking would give Quarantillo issues. I predicted that Tucker is the better grappler, as will likely hit takedowns and keep top position. And I was happy I went more than a unit on Tucker. I was confident in him to win this fight. That's why I went the extra unit at plus 153. He looks like a minus 200 favorite out there, winning the fight 30-27 on my scorecard. I think all the judges gave it to him 30-27 as well. So Tucker really dominated Quarantillo. 
chill. Looked like a favorite out there, and I was really happy with my read and bet on that one. At number three, I actually have two prop bets on the same exact fight. I had 0.3 units on Saeed Nurmagomedov by knockout at plus 600, and 1.5 units on the fight does not go the distance at plus 163 for this fight. So I had 1.8 units risked, and I profited 4.24 units on this fight. So around plus 300 odds on average for both of them. Uh, very good read on this fight. I predicted it was a mismatch. I predicted that Saeed would likely land some hard strikes and knock Striegel out in this one. I forgot to mention Mark Striegel was the opponent. I think it was Saeed's only fight of the year, so you probably picked up on that, but it's still worth noting. Uh, Striegel was just not in the same level as Nurmagomedov. Nurmagomedov has really flashy striking and he was able to hurt and put away Striegel really early in this one it was a pretty quick fight only lasted a minute so not the most replicable but I was happy with my uh, my stabs on the, the knockout here and my play on the does not go the distance that seemed like it would hit at a pretty high clip that brings us to number two. We have 1.25 units on Jan Blahovic at plus 240 versus Dom Reyes. I predicted that Blahovic was the better fighter than Reyes. He's, he'd fought the better competition. He would have more ways to win the fight. I really liked Blahovic. His chances at landing a knockout, getting the fight to the floor, out grappling, pushing against the cage. He had that five-round cardio experience. So I really was liking Blahovic in this fight. I wasn't expecting him to dominate Reyes as soundly as he did but Reyes looked really bad in that fight Blahovic looked sharp was outboxing him was checking leg kicks was doing really well and eventually led to that knockout it was a pretty replicable result I think I think that Blahovic at plus 240 was way off I was pretty vocal on Twitter about Blahovic uh, being a good bet as an underdog at plus 200 there so was really happy to see my prediction come through on that one and that brings us to the number one best bet of the year. If you were a fan of the Martian MMA podcast, you probably know what this one is. I alluded to it earlier. My biggest bet of the year, my only five-unit bet of the year, was on Justin Gaethje at plus 180 over Tony Ferguson. I thought that Ferguson was getting way overvalued in this fight. That Gaethje could have been the favorite pre-fight. I was saying that the line was 20-30% off and that ended up being true. Gaethje dominated this fight. He outboxed Ferguson. Outside of getting dropped in round two for a brief moment, Gaethje really dominated this fight. Poured it on in the later rounds and eventually led to that mercifully merciful knockout from Herb Dean in round five where Ferguson was just so hurt from the punches that he finally had to stop the fight um, but I was a really good read on that fight I wasn't alone picking Gaethje it wasn't the most original pick but I was very confident and very happy that I went heavy on Gaethje there it was my biggest bet of the year and it was on a plus 180 underdog and it ended up cashing pretty easily Gaethje looked minus 300 there so very happy with that bet on Gaethje as my biggest bet and biggest win of the year. I think it was close to a nine unit win on one fight on Gaethje there. So that is going to do it for this 2020 recap episode. I did a bunch of different categories like knockout of the year, fighter of the year, fight of the year. Hope you enjoy my take on those rankings and some of my reasoning behind those picks. Although some of my reasoning might have been, been a bit unconventional and uh, not the typical reasoning. I hope you saw my point of view and I had some fun talking about my betting record, my prediction record, some of my worst and best bets of the year. I did profit 47 units on the year with a return on investment of 13% for my first profitable year of track bets. Very happy with those results. And I want to really want to thank everyone who listened to the podcast, who tailed the bets, who showed support, liked the videos, reached out to me on Twitter, discussed fights with me on Discord or whatever. Really appreciate everybody in this fight community who supports this podcast and makes all these episodes possible. So 
I want to thank everyone for listening. I want to thank everyone for a great 2020. And I promise to produce quality podcasts in 2021 and keep winning bets and have another profitable year in track bets. So thank you all for listening once again. This will this will do it for the 2020 recap episode of the Martian MMA podcast. And I will see you all in a few weeks for the first event of 2021. Peace. Thank you.